Good evening, everyone. We're broadcasting live. May 3rd, 2016. Tonight's quote is about karma. And more generally, it's about it's about views. It's about why we do things. It's about reasons for doing things, reasons from for abstaining, reasons for abandoning. Why would we give up? Why would we give up the things we do? Why would we give up the things we want to do? Why would we give up the things we think are right to do? So the giants from this sutta, we have the idea that the giants claim that whoever kills, steals, cheats or lies, that person goes to hell. According to how one habitually acts, one goes to one's destiny. So apayeko narayiko yo kochi adinam Yang bahulang, yam bahulang viharati. Whatever one does again and again, whatever things one does much, one dwells in, whatever one dwells in much, dwells often in, dena dena niyati. They go according to that. Or they are led, right? They are carried according to that. Which sounds fairly Buddhist, right? Sounds, But the Buddha doesn't like this. He doesn't agree with this. He says, well, in that case, uh, he's quite smart. He says, what if in the, what if in, what does he say? What if a man kills by day or night or from time to time? Right? He says, well, in that case, no one's going to go to hell because someone doesn't kill habitually. They kill from time to time, but most of the time they're not killing. So if they go according to whatever's habitual to them, then the, the once in a while killing isn't going to have any effect. Nobody will go to hell. And then he gives this long speech, this long paragraph, not long, but it's, he gives a fairly, uh, I mean, he, he looks at it more in depth. He says, uh, 
but curiously he doesn't he doesn't uh, provide a view right he says well, well that you know here you have this view that if you do this you're going to go to hell right he doesn't offer an opposing view instead he says the buddha uh, All oh, right. No, sorry. First, he he uh, he points he points out. He says, you know, "Now suppose there's a teacher who teaches uh, teaches this doctrine that whoever whoever does these things goes to hell. Someone kills or steals, and they, they go to hell. Uh, then suppose there's a follower, someone who follows them out of faith. Now, if that person should hear this, and suppose that they have done these things in the past." then they would feel they would feel upset right and uh, holding that view not giving it up thinking about it ruminating over ruminating over it he does indeed go to hell goes to hell because he's so worried and and upset and and holding on to this fear and anger and just dis disliking for self that kind of thing. dislike for the the future and so on uh, but also for holding wrong view, for holding on to a view that isn't isn't uh, founded in in reality. Holding on to views is very dangerous because it puts you out of sync with reality. It it, it warps your mind, and uh, it changes the way you act, changes the way you think, the way you look at the world. Views are very dangerous. We should not hold on to views whatsoever. Even views like this that seem right. If you do bad things, you go to a bad place. If you do good things, you go to a good place. Why is it not true? It's not true because it's it's oversimplistic. It tries to oversimplify things. It tries to, to categorically state cause and effect beyond what is real, beyond what is really uh, subject to cause and effect. So what is subject to cause and effect are, are momentary states. If you kill, it's made up of a whole bunch of momentary states of intention to kill and uh, the action of kill, the observation of the experience of killing, memories of having killed, which, which are all momentary and all have their own power. But that's all that that's all that has power is those moments and so they do change your mind and they do make it more likely that you're going to go to a bad destination they certainly bring a bad results but what those bad results are is 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 quite complicated and dependent on many other factors whether you're doing good things as well and so on when they bring fruit is also up in the air who knows if you've do bad things now when it's going to bear fruit because there's so many other uh, factors vying for uh, prominence. If you do good things, then those might show first and then the bad things you've done might come to fruition later because of how they mix with so many other things happening. You know, it's, it's like the physical world. It's like trying to predict the weather. Well, we know that uh, the hum humans are having an effect on on the global climate, but we can't predict 
exactly what that's going to be. We can't predict from one day to the next. But we can say, oh, we're doing something that's actually changing. And so karma is like this. So you, you can look at someone and you can say, well, that person's heading towards hell. And if they don't change, then eventually they're going to go to a bad place. But you can't, you can't make it a view. And so the Buddha contrasts this with uh, what the Buddha does. And he says he censures, strongly censures, killing, stealing, cheating, lying, saying abstain from these things. He doesn't say a person who does these will go to hell, etc. He, uh, he doesn't put a view on them. He just says abstain from them and he says that they're harmful. So a person might feel bad because they've done them, but it, it encourages them to change. And that's another important aspect of Buddhism is the potential to change. The potential to start fresh, like with Angulimala who killed so many people and then became a monk and became enlightened. Or even Devadatta who Though he's bound, he's, he was bound to hell and he's living in hell right now, as we understand. Uh, still was able to change his mind at the last, in his last moments. And is now considered to be headed in the right direction. After he gets out of hell, he'll move on and become enlightened himself. And so, so there's the potential, this person sees, who hears the Buddha say, abstain from these. Yeah, they're not well done, they're not good. And this person changes and does good things. And then the Buddha gives, you know, he, he talks about how they have cause, how they have an effect. You know, doing Abstaining from evil is not just because someone says it's right or wrong. It's about getting people to stop doing these things so they can start to experience happiness. So he says, this noble disciple freed from greed and hatred, oh, sorry, not yet, by abandoning killing, by abandoning stealing, etc., etc., by abandoning all these things, by abandoning greed, he becomes generous. By abandoning hatred, he becomes kind. By abandoning wrong view, he becomes one with perfect view. So that's greed, anger, and delusion. Here we are. Abhijang, abhijang, bahaya anabhijalohoti. Vyapada dosang bahaya abhyapano chitohoti. Micha dikting bahaya samadittikohoti. Mm. Pali is actually quite simpler, not as eloquent. It's actually just giving up, abandoning, uh, abandoning desire becomes one who has who is free from desire. Abandoning anger and ill will, one becomes one who has a mind free from ill will. 
abandoning wrong view, one becomes one who has right view. And then freed from greed and hate or hatred, not bewildered, but mindful and concentrated. They abide with metta, karuna, mudita, and upeka, the four brahmaviharas. And the Buddha often does this. He talks about the four brahmaviharas not as a practice, but more as a result of practice, a result of right practice. Meaning if you practice mindfulness, if you practice to see things clearly, the four brahmaviharas come naturally. It's important to understand people who try to perfect the brahmaviharas in advance are doomed to failure because the brahmaviharas will not eradicate greed, anger, and delusion. But if you work to eradicate them, I mean, the four brahmaviharas can be a support, but they don't become perfect, they don't become purified until one is free from greed, anger, and delusion because they're always going to be tainted by these things. Love can be tainted by greed. Compassion can be tainted by anger, mudita. Upeka can be tainted by delusion. They can, uh, even though you practice them, they can be perverted by the unwholesomeness in the mind until that unwholesomeness is purified. And so when one does it this way, uh, nothing whatsoever is left out of the love, the compassion, the sympathetic joy, or that equanimity. So this is about abandoning about abandoning things. We don't abandon things because of views. We abandon things because of the benefits that come from abandoning. We've talked about this before, that the monks uh, were un unwilling or hesitant to give up simple things like not eating in the evening. But when they, when they actually gave these things up and just acted according to necessity rather than according to desire. They found that they were much happier. And they were freed from so much suffering, and so much stress and, and problems. It's like um, in Christianity, they have this thing called Lent where they give things up. In Buddhism, it's it's not so much, a, it's not considered to be a hardship to give something up. We give things up as in a joyful way, like I'm free, I'm free from this. It's, it's something that we feel proud of, that we're finally free of that crippling desire, that crippling addiction that only caused us more suffering and stress. That we're happier, we become happier for giving up. That's really the key. They become happier by giving up. And so that's what we work for. So that's our bit of Dhamma for this evening. I see there are a bunch of questions, so I'll take them on. Thing. 
few questions anyway, right? Let's read through them. Is 10 feet enough room to practice walking meditation? Yeah. I mean, you have to remember walking meditation isn't about walking. It's about lifting your feet and being aware of the movement of the feet, each piece by piece. I've actually taught walking meditation to a group of kids, just having them lift their feet up and place them down. Lifting, placing. Because it was there wasn't enough room. You know how kids are if you get them walking. Wouldn't have been very mindful, so I just had them lift their feet. <laughs> it's the same thing, really. If the world were to end tomorrow, what would happen to all the beings that were meant to be reborn? Well, the world does eventually end. Um, beings, if for, to be reborn, there has to be a physical base. To be, to be reborn in the world, there does have to be a physical base. So if that physical base and when that physical base isn't there, they will move on and they will seek out a base to be born uh, where they can be reborn. You have to remember, we're, we're not... Um, No, we, we're not born into a living being. We're, we're born into a womb where there's only these two cells. So we see, ah, here's a start. And we start there. And we you know, work together with the body to create that being. The mind is involved in, in the, 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 the gestation, pro, pro, gestation, gest, gestation process. Um, so... The, the mind will have to find a place that it can cling to. If there's no human womb to cling to, then it will find somewhere else. So they would probably be born in heaven in, in well, as angel, angelic types of beings, as beings out in, in space kind of thing. Why are we talking about football? Oh. Hmm. So someone won a, won a bet. That could be good karma. You know, it's it could be just the karma of buying the ticket, you know. <laughs> buying the ticket leads you to win. Uh, it's not necessarily something from past life. Actually, winning the lottery can be very painful and stressful. A lot of people commit suicide after winning the lottery. Or are murdered uh, in order to rob them of their money. Lots of bad things happen. They become depressed, they become alcoholics, they become drug addicts. There's an article about it I read. Very interesting. So to say it's good karma... It may be because they've done lots of bad things that they had to win the lottery. It's because people want their money, you know, everyone's going to come asking for their for a share, you know, the land borrow money. So many problems. When it comes to do not kill, what is there to say about law enforcement or self defense? No killing, nothing to say. Not even any harming, you know. If you beat, if you hit someone in self-defense, you know, it's you have to be careful. You know, it's allowed. Monks are allowed to hit someone in self-defense, but 
It better be measured. It better not be out of anger. I've heard of bhava being referred to also as habitual tendency when talking about dependent origination. Would you say that this is precise? If not, could you please give your take on how to understand bhava? Bhava is karma bhava. That's how the commentary describes it. So that's maybe a bit controversial. Some people don't like the commentaries. But karma bhava means uh, your desire leads you to leads you to create karma. Um, so um, yeah. So for example, if you want to suppose you want to get a, a bachelor degree, well then you go to university and the karma of going to university is that suppose you want to kill lots of people let's say well then that leads you to actually go and do the killing now bhava being referred to as habitual tendencies I would say it's actually not quite accurate because it doesn't have to be habitual tendencies but that's one way of, of being reborn you're reborn because of habitual tendencies but you can also be reborn, for example, by a, a single deed. If you kill your mother or your father, then that is what will lead. That one deed, regardless of what habitual tendencies you might have, but that one deed will lead you to hell, for example. If you've done bad things, but then you enter into the jhanas, then that one deed, that one... Uh, if you just quickly, you know, if you work for a short period of time and you attain the jhanas and then you die I understand you go to the Brahma world even though you've done you may have because you can suppress it so no bhava means uh, according to the commentaries it means karma bhava is the becoming so you want something well that's still in your mind the becoming is when you actually uh, make it happen now that also um, refers I think to the moment of conception. So you want to be reborn and therefore you act and are reborn. Bhava. I'm not quite clear on that, but I think Bhava is being reborn in the womb and no, I'm not sure. I don't think that's correct. But I have to look it up. Sorry. Not a very good teacher. Don't even know my theory. What role would karma play in killing by proxy? Killing by proxy, the Buddha did address this uh, because there was the belief that if you tell someone to kill, you're guilty of the karma of killing. And the Buddha said, no, you're guilty of the karma of telling someone to kill. I believe this is something the Buddha said. And that's important. Again, referring to our quote, uh, it's not about the act or, or you know, views about this is... This leads to this, that leads to that. It's about the mind states. You know, what's involved with wanting someone to kill? That's all you have to ask. Whatever mind states are involved, that's what the result is going to bring. So there might be a lot of good involved with killing in certain instances. You want to help other people, you want to protect other people. So there's, there's good intentions, but there's also a lot of bad because you want to harm someone. Because as we were talking about yesterday with the Dhammapada, which Turns out I've already recorded, so I'm not going to upload. Um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, 
anyway if you uh, if you kill by proxy you are guilty of the, the mind states involved with telling someone to kill and, and yeah, getting involved with someone killing all right the, the idea that uh, it doesn't matter it's not, it's not a matter of you killing someone else and them dying. It's, it's the sense of um, you know, des desiring to live and yet acting to kill, right? which, is, uh, which is out of line with your own desires, with your own, with your own hopes and wishes, with your own intentions. Nikki wants me to read her article. Oh, there's Buddhist monks involved. <laughs> I see. Uh-huh. About ten monks from the temple are flown to, flown to Britain to bless the player. Oh, the club has a Thai owner. Mm. Bless the players before the kickoff. Oh. They spend the match deep in meditation. <laughs> the monks meditate for these guys? And this is supposed to be Buddhist? Not impressed. The fans outside do a good job of letting them know which way the game is going. We know how they're doing because of the cheers and chanting. We feel the vibrations. Not cool. I'm not impressed. That's not what meditation is for. I mean, what the heck, you know? What happened to being objective? Now they're, they're, they're siding with a football team? <laughs> What, what, uh, what wholesomeness could that possibly bring? Why would you bless one team over another? You know, didn't the Buddha say winning breeds, you know, winning breeds uh, enmity? When you win, there's a loser. Why would a Buddhist monk side on one side or the other? Un unimpressive. You know, if the other team was a bunch of uh, psych uh, psychopaths, well, then okay. And and somehow winning uh, meant that good would prevail, but it's not a good and evil kind of thing. It's not like Bernie Sanders winning the, the Democratic nomination. <laughs> not impressed with these guys. That's 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 worse to me than those monks with that uh, plane, everyone was up in arms about these monks who had a jet plane. I don't know the details, I guess there were some worse details, but just owning a plane to me as well, okay, you know, monks own cars, monks own planes. I can understand people getting offended by it, but you know, really it's just a mode of transportation. Theoretically, it could be used for good. But blessing a football team, that's just wrong. 
know, blessing people, if they ask to be blessed, that's fine, but maybe they're not actively involved, but it sounds like they're actively siding with one team. You know? They should go out and bless both teams, really. Absurd. I'm not impressed. Uh, but the, I guess your, your point is that the good karma of paying respect to these monks helps them win the game. Potentially, sure, because uh, it means their minds are clearer during the time that they're playing, they, they're thinking about the monks, but it's a total abuse of monastic monastic life, you know. Yeah, monks can do lots of things. I know a monk who's a, a doctor, he heals people's sicknesses. I still don't think it's right. Fine, monks can do these things. Monks have the power to help, people, help football players win their matches. doesn't make it right. It's just the wrong way of going about things makes people think that, puts some importance, think that Buddhists believe it's important to win football match. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. I'm not mocking you, please don't. I'm, I think it's an interesting, thank you for bringing me the article, but I, uh, I certainly have some opinion about it. So thanks for bringing it to my attention. Rather than accumulating good karma, should we be aiming for the cessation of all karma? Is this the correct understanding? You can't aim for the cessation of all karma. Let me see. Yeah, I suppose that's true. You can. Yes, that's true. And technically, because karma is your intentions, an arahant doesn't create new karma. So there is the eradication. But it's, it's not the eradication of all karma. Uh, because past karma can't be eradicated. It's already happened. So the result will come. If it has a chance. If it has a chance to come. So... You're working for the eradication of um, of ignorance and of defilement, which leads to karma, leads to new karma. But the results of old karma, as long as you're still in samsara, they will come. Now, when a when a monk passed, when, uh, sorry, when an arahant passes away, uh, future karma or past karma that hasn't given its that has a result in the future loses its opportunity. So you don't actually eradicate that result. You just, it has no opportunity because of the cessation, because of Nibbana. But yeah, I guess basically what you're saying. But you have to really explain that because it sounds kind of strange to someone who doesn't understand Buddhism. So it's too easy to misunderstand cessation of all karma to mean just doing nothing. That's not true. Cessation of karma means that an arahant still does good things, but they have no an, no intention, no desire for that to bring a result. No greed, anger, delusion about it. No identification. They just do as a matter of course things that are uh, pretty much going with the flow. If I knew a chicken was well taken care of, what would be the karmic implications of choosing and eating its unfertilized eggs as a food source be? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could, I've argued that you could look at it as kind of a livelihood for the chickens. And if you're taking care of them, um, which is hard to do, you know, chickens are not very nice animals. And if you want to take care of them, I, when I was young, we took care of chickens. It's easy to mistreat them 
um, it's much easier to mistreat them than, than to treat them well. So if you can claim that you're actually treating them well, and on the other hand, you know, treating them passively well because we don't have to all, we don't have to, and no one has to live in luxury, and it's not to anyone's benefit to live in luxury. But if you're taking care of them, you could think of it as some kind of livelihood. Now, you could argue there's a problem with um, the fact that the birds consider the eggs to be their children and tend to be fairly protective of them. So if you've ever taken eggs from underneath a chicken, they're not very happy about it. And they have ways of getting around that as well. You can have these, I guess they have these machines now where the eggs actually set up, so where the eggs actually roll down after the chicken lays them. I've seen those. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Milk would be the same, I suppose. There's something to be said about um, keeping animals in captivity that is looked down upon. You know, the fact that you're locking them up, the fact that you're controlling them. And you know, ultimately you tend to get angry at them, frustrated and cruel. It's easy to fall into that. If you can avoid it, then there, there are worse things. Still problematic because of the captivity, I would think. Bernie Sanders is winning Indiana, yeah. Too little, too late, I think. But it's okay. No, the important thing about Bernie Sanders is the good that he, he, he talked about. How he talks about a moral economy. How he echoes Pope Francis, who is also, I think, a good guy. How they're interested in helping people. Someone pointed out to me how angry he is and how angry his followers are. And, I think that's important to acknowledge. We can't side with these people 100% because they're not perfect, you know. But um, we can appreciate and we can side with them because uh, their hearts are in the right place in the sense that their views are in the right place. Let's put that that way. They seem to have wholesome views that are amenable to spirituality and enlightenment and goodness. How does one prevent fruition of karma? Well, karma has many types. So there's karma that, has, that brings fruit. There's karma that supports other karma to bring fruit. There's karma that destroys the fruit of other karma. And there's karma that weakens the fruit of other karma. Four types of karma. I mean, that just points out how complicated it is. So if you've done bad things, doing good things can... Uh, can outweigh the bad and actually free you from the results and you know, they nullify they cancel each other out that is true it's very possible meditation is all about making the mind as neutral as possible and avoiding excitement excitement and disturbance it's not about avoiding meditation is all about oh, whose quote I don't know, the quote in the article, is it? I don't know. But, um, you know, that's one kind of meditation. Anyone who says what meditation is about is it's kind of cringeworthy because, you know, what does that mean? How many types of meditation are there? There's as many types of meditation as there are mind states. You can meditate on anything in any way. 
So that's one way of meditation. Buddhism, what is the purpose of practicing meditation in Buddhism? It's to see things clearly, as clearly as possible. That leads to neutrality, but that's the result, not the practice. You can't force it. If you force it, it's artificial. It's not about avoiding. It's about seeing, seeing excitement, seeing disturbance. Mm. Elephants are very poorly treated because uh, it's a, elephants have a hard time because they don't they, they don't they don't belong in a human world. They don't fit into the human world not easily anyway. It's true. I suppose they could, but you have you know they're they're probably very difficult to train ethically, and so they train them they train them with a, a spike. If you know how it is, they have a stick with a very small spike. And when they're young, they poke them with the spike right here. And it's very painful. And so they eventually develop a, a, a scar here. And so they'll poke them there. And they come to know, they come to fear their trainer. And they become kind of neurotic about it. Elephants that are trained, you can see it in their eyes and, and in the way they behave. They're messed up. It's really sad, actually. Not really for elephant training, because they use they they torture them. That's how they do it. I mean, actually, I don't know. There may be ethical ways, and there may be people doing it ethically, but I'm not really impressed. Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about eating. Again, it's about karma. Isn't about the act. It's about the intention. It's about the state of mind. There are worse thing, more things to worry about than dead chicken embryos, dead unfertilized chicken embryos. Anyway, if that's all, then we'll say goodnight. And we'll maybe do a Dhammapada again tomorrow. I hope I get the right one this time. Anyway, have a good night, everyone.